if you're a seller, do you care how long that holdover period is in the contract? It's irrelevant to me. Why? One, I don't think it's going to be relevant, period, because I don't think we're going to get to the end of the contract and that won't be a factor. But I also think that if I'm selling, I'm selling. So if I don't sell with this real estate agent, then I will be hiring another one. So whatever the, the holdover period was is irrelevant. What's All up, right. everybody? <laughs> Welcome to episode 165 of KT Confidential, the real estate podcast. We're your host. I'm Ariel. He's Adrian. And this is episode 165. Today, we're talking about holdovers and holdbacks. Holdover yes, well, clause. What does it mean? Holdback conditions, things of that nature that fall within them. And for those and, of you who are listening, who are tuning in specifically, because last week we mentioned that this week the topic would be holdover and holdbacks. It was actually just supposed to be holdovers, that component of the listing agreement. I messed up. I messed but, up at the end of the podcast. Well, I wasn't going to point any fingers. But, uh, point, you, if you want to take the blame, that's fine. I'm, I'm taking one, <laughs> taking one for the team here. Um, yeah, at the end of episode 164, I, when I was wrapping it up, I said we'd be talking about holdbacks. Which is also an important element to the real estate it transaction. It is. And actually, if there are two uh, terms in real estate that could get misinterpreted for each other, they are probably it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I'm even. Um, I think I look even. I look better with my new camera. You do, and yeah, and good. the lighting is is good, and you're having there's less reflection, so it's about time. I've yeah. been for those of you that uh, that know me, I like to upgrade my my phone and my laptop, like every everything basically that I use that's electronic, except for my TVs. My TVs tend to stay around for a while, but uh, everything else gets upgraded on a regular basis. I don't know what you would consider actually regular now. Like how often does the average person upgrade their phone? Uh, for me, it's every um, two years. Yeah, that's a good transition period, I think. I mean, just on the TV note, the reason that, I mean, that's these are all work-related, tax-deductible. They hold and they retain their value quite well. Mac products, Apple products too. Apple TVs, products too. You're taking quite the hit if you do it that often. Although technology well, it, changes just as quick. And, and, you know, if you think about TVs as an example, yeah, the picture quality gets better and maybe there are some features that are new or improved or whatever. But the basics of turning on the TV and watching a show or a movie um, in a pretty good quality, like a TV five years ago, yeah. that was a top of the line TV would now be considered, you know, a bottom of the line TV. For sure. Um, well, I still that, have my very first flat screen, which is not by today's standards a flat screen, but it's to, flat enough. Today's standards, it's like an old tube TV. A tube TV. So it's, I bought it in my when I lived in my parents' house in Mississauga. It must have been a couple years before I moved to Oakville. So when did I move to Oakville? 2008? Something like so, that. So 2005, 2000 and 
six, somewhere in there. So it's it's not 15, far off from being a 20-year-old wow. TV in a couple more years. And we use it daily. It's in our bedroom, although I was against having one in the room, but there was a good spot for it. So, Oh, you do have a TV in your bedroom now. Yeah, I think it happened in the last house. Alicia was sick and she wanted a TV. She was in bed, so I put it in there and... Actually, that's a good poll question. So for those of you listening, watching, leave a comment. Would love to know if you have a TV in your bedroom. And is there one spouse that wanted it more than the other? See, for me, um, I can't really watch TV in bed a whole lot because as soon as I get in the bed, my, my brain shuts down. I start to get tired. I maybe get through one episode of a show and then I'm done. You know what it does to me? But really, like, I mean, if you think about it, like I've got the, uh, speaking of upgraded phones, I I upgraded my phone last month. Yeah. And I got the um, the Pro Max, so the bigger the bigger version of the uh, the phone, which I was kind of against, but I said, you know what, for our purpose and reviewing contracts, it's, it's a little bit easier. It's to me, it's just a little too big for my pocket and, and for my um, fat little fingers, but um, it's a TV, right? Yeah. Like you've got all the, the TV apps on it. You can have the Netflix and the Disney and whatever on your phone and watch TV the on Netflix. your phone. So yeah. Yeah, the Netflix. The Netflix and the Disney. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like one of my favorite uh YouTube viral videos of all time where the little old uh, Italian grandma and she keeps saying uh the hey Gugu. Oh yeah. You're teaching <laughs> her how to use the uh Alexa. Yeah. Or whatever well, and, and the Google Home or something. Yeah, that was a funny Google one. Home. I saw that. Yeah. And she's going, Hey Gugu, hey Gugu. Yeah. And she's shocked by uh, how it's responding to her. Anyways, let's get to it. Um, Let's start start with the holdover. Yeah. So I'll I'll read the clause so people know exactly what this is. So this is a a clause within the listing agreement. So when you sign um, a document to sell your house with a real estate brokerage, the listing agreement is one of the forms you'll sign. Uh, It's a three-page uh, standard form uh, in Ontario anyways uh, that's what we've got and it could have schedules to it but um, in section two it talks about the commission and then below uh, as part of that commission clause it reads um, the seller further agrees to pay such commission as calculated above if an agreement of purchase and sale uh, is agreed to or accepted by the seller or anyone on the seller's behalf within 90 days well that's a variable so you could put as many days as you want 90 days after the expiration date of the listing period in bracket hold over period so long as such agreement is with anyone who is introduced to the property uh, from any source whatsoever during the listing period or shown the property during the listing period so there's more to it which we'll get into but that's the premise of it is if let's say ariel hires me to sell his house and we have a contract until march 1st march 1st rolls around and the contract expires or for some reason we cancel it earlier if a buyer comes within 90 days of march 1st um, and that buyer was introduced to the house uh, during our listing period, whether they saw it on realtor.ca or a real estate agent took them through the house through a scheduled showing, if they make arrangements to buy it, um, the original listing brokerage is still due their commission. 
Was that confusing? You often take what I say and make it make sense. No, I think that was a, a good explanation. I think the whole point of it, <clears throat> really, the the I think the maybe where this got introduced was to alleviate sellers from saying, you know, two months after the listing, saying to the listing agent, um, you know, this isn't working out, let's cut ties. But what, but behind the scenes, got a knock on the door from somebody that viewed the property and maybe it was an open house or something of that nature. Yeah. And now want to try and cut a deal under the table right. to cut the agents out to quote unquote, save the uh, sellers, the commission. That's right. Um, so this is actually in the contract to protect the listing brokerage um, to ensure that, you know, the efforts, uh, the marketing uh, that they do is, is, compensated for um, in that certain period of time. However, I will say this, and, you know, I like to put my lawyer's hat on uh, from time to time. And I would challenge in court, if I was a seller, I would challenge in court if that holdover was for an extreme period of time for sure so if if you're a listing agent if you're a listing realtor and and in your brokerage contract with that seller you put i don't know three thousand days uh <laughs> that's not you know well yeah. it could that number well, I, be, I, I wonder what would be considered extreme well there I mean, isn't that that correct me if i'm wrong but from my recollection in in all of the listing documents, and I'm talking about all of them. So, you know, we're talking right now about the standard listing agreement uh, with the Ontario Real Estate Association. But in the province of Ontario, you have different agreements that form your MLS listing, which would include the forms for the boards, the real estate boards that you're going going to list the property in or on and in all of those documents your agreements with those real estate boards it does ask for the holdover period so in none of these is there a disclaimer or is there is an asterisk that sets a time frame limit no the only limit they have and it's not even a limit is it's the listing agreement a date, uh, how long that contract is in place, if it exceeds six months, or if it's six months or more, then no, it's if it's more than six months, then the the uh, seller, the client of the brokerage needs to initial to acknowledge that. Um, but nothing, no such thing exists for the holdover right. period. So theoretically, if I know, like as a realtor, and I don't know if this has happened, I'm sure it has crossed some realtors' minds. If you have a very unique property, you know, it's a rural farm or, you know, whatever. And your listing period is, let's say it's a year because you know 
hey, maybe even in a year of marketing this property, it may or may not sell. Um, or if you know the property is worth $5 million and the seller wants $8 million and you decide to just try the market and see if there's any interest and you sign a one-year listing agreement. And if you want to stop them from, you know, uh, doing what we just said, having the property marketed for a year and somebody come back and, and say, Hey, I saw it last June. Are you interested in selling it? So I don't know, maybe this realtor now puts a 365 day holdover into that. So what is reasonable? What is not reasonable? We don't know. Uh, It it would go to court. It would go to court and it would be a, um, you know, it would be defined by that judge um, that, that would deem it acceptable or not, or reasonable or not. I think Um, one of the things it would come down to is uh, determining whether or not uh, efforts made during that period of time, the listing period of time, whether that uh, played a factor in influencing the buyer's decision, because if it did, I feel like the timeframe should be indefinite. Now, the one exception is that timeframe is irrelevant. If the seller signs a new listing agreement, um, the one uh, variable there being um, if they, the way it's worded is if you sign a new listing agreement and sell it with another brokerage, uh, that's fine. You're allowed to do that even if it's within the holdover period. But let's say um, you the, the original real estate agent charged you 5%. That's what the, the cost of selling was, 5% of the selling price. The new listing agreement, let's say it's 4.5%. Um, the wording of that clause says that you as long you would still owe up to the original amount. If it's if it's less than the original amount you paid for agreed to, you would still owe that difference. If it was still within that holdover period. Correct. Yeah. But if the original contract was 5% now, and the new contract's 5%, then that's fine. You owe nothing. Now let's face it. In certainly in the GTA, in the Toronto area, the chances of a holdover clause being relevant in a transaction these days is... It's rare, but you you were um, (laughs) involved in a situation that's probably something you might still be actively working on. That's... That's actually a good point. That's actually a good point because, okay, so I'll give the example. My client called me up uh, just, it was actually on Christmas Eve and said, uh, hey, that property we saw earlier this year, uh, did it end up selling or uh, what happened to it? And I said, no, they they canceled the listing. After, After one expired listing, they relisted it at a lower price and and then they canceled it um, sometime later in the summer. And I said, well, can you, can you do some digging and see if they're, they're interested? Um, I said, yeah. So I pulled up the original MLS listing and the subsequent listings. And the most recent listing was canceled back in, I think it was May and it had a holdover of 90 days, three months, which is, 
reasonable. So now Usu- would the holdover be applicable from the new cancellation date or the original listing agreement date? The holdover would be applicable from the cancellation date. Okay. It doesn't make sense if it was applicable from the listing date. No, you're right. Continue. So, and and actually in this case, the cancellation date and the expiry date, if you added 90 days to either of those, you were beyond it was it. several months ago. Uh, right. Yeah, beyond yeah. that. But, and I called you on it to pick your brain, as a... As a common courtesy. Professional courtesy, I, I would prof- call it. I would call it a professional courtesy. You are, you are absolutely correct. And good karma. Yes. I called the listing agent and said, here's, here's what's up. I could have easily driven over to the house, knocked on the door, presented them with our marketing materials or not, doesn't matter, but tell them I introduced my buyer to your property back in March. They are interested in purchasing your property. Let's cut a deal and I'll save you some bread. Yeah. And this is a luxury home. And, you know, you cut one side of the equation out it could save the seller quite a bit of money, quote unquote, save if they don't want representation. Uh, if they were smart, you know, they would say, you know, I want, I want my realtor representing me in this transaction. But anyways, I, I a common professional courtesy, picked up the phone, talked to that realtor. And uh, the realtor said, actually, I spoke to them a few weeks ago. We're going to be relisting the property sometime in the springtime. So, and then the rest of the story is a little bit irrelevant to this, but um, yeah, I, I could have gone and, and tried to cut a deal and cut them out of the deal and they would have no repercussion and no compensation. Yeah. But and you know that I always say uh, what comes around goes around. So as a realtor, if you were to go behind the other realtor's back and you know say uh, you know approach the seller, I've done it too. I, I feel like that's the right way, right thing to do. Yeah, and I've I've had yeah. instances where the conversation went much the same as yours did, where they were, they were actually actively involved and communicating with the client still and had intentions of relisting it. I've also experienced the opposite, where the the agent said, "Nope, go ahead, you can call them directly." So perhaps they had a falling out or whatever the case may be. Didn't want to deal um, with them, right? Right. Now, again, that is just a courtesy. So how long, you know, what's the unwritten rule for how long you give that courtesy to the, to that previous listing agent? Because so now we're a few months after this listing was canceled and I did show my buyer the property during that listing period. Mm 
However, if we're now in the summer of 2023, not a chance. I'm I'm going I'm I'm knocking on the door now. Yeah. I'm saying, hey, a year's gone by or whatever. But but again, there's no unwritten rule as to what that time frame is. So yeah. you're kind of um, you know, using your best judgment and and uh and again that it's because it's a courtesy. Um there's other factors so, that would come into play. Like if you saw that they had listed it 10 times over the last three years with the same realtor, maybe they feel committed. So then maybe you'd, because you see that you go direct. But if you see over the last three years, they've tried seven different real estate agents then maybe, and now it's been six months since the last one, then maybe you don't. So there's a lot of things that I would probably take into consideration about whether or not there's a, you know, they, that professional courtesy would be due. But uh, in most cases, that's, uh, well, every case so far to date, that's the route I have gone. Now, if, if you're a seller, put your seller's hat on for a second, Adrian. It's on. Do you care how long that holdover period is in the contract? It's irrelevant to me. Why? Because I think if the one, I don't think it's going to be relevant, period, because I don't think we're going to get to the end of the contract and that won't be a factor. But I also think that if I'm selling, I'm selling. So if I don't sell with this real estate agent, then I will be hiring another one. So whatever the the holdover period was is irrelevant. Now, and back at, at the chance that um, we decided to put it on hold, and that's that's the reason why now all of a sudden it's off the market. We put it on hold. And I still have a good relationship with that real estate agent. I would feel like they were still due that money if the buyer was introduced that way. Now, if this was just a neighbor's friend who said, "Hey, my buddy would wants to move into the neighborhood," uh, are you still considering to sell? That might be different. In that case, I may say, "Well, this is completely different." I, you know, and then I'll I'll run with it myself, perhaps. But. Um, I see it as a rare occurrence. That actually happened to me once where we had the property on the market. <clears throat> I can't remember which property it is or it was. Um, we had the property on the market and something happened where the, the buyer got a, or the seller got a call from a colleague saying, I heard, I saw your Facebook post. They, they shared our uh, photo album from our Facebook page. Right. And the colleague called the seller and said, uh, I'd be interested in, in your home cut and cutting a private deal. Right. And and something happened in that transaction. I think we had a conditional deal that actually fell apart. Okay. I don't I can't remember, remember the story. story. This was, this was years ago. ago. This was years and years ago. <clears throat> and, and the seller was not 100% uh, forthcoming with the truth and wanted to basically uh, suspend or cancel the cancel 
the listing and put it back on the market later. It came up with some excuse, uh, like something happened in the family or, or whatever. Right. And so I, I took a step back and to analyze kind of what's going on in the market and this and that. And I ended up getting a call from the colleague. Oh, really? So I guess the colleague was getting impatient or whatever. The, the colleague wanted, is the one that wanted the one to buy that, it? Correct. Okay. So during this conditional period, he tried to, when when we found out this deal wasn't going going together, tried to re-engage with the seller to cut a deal. At the same time, the seller is trying to negotiate with me to cancel the listing. And they called you. What did they say? And and the colleague, I don't remember, but it was along the lines of, like, he told me what was going on. That's too funny. <clears throat> that um, I've been trying to talk to my my colleague about buying the house and this and that uh, he hasn't called me back what's happening with that deal um yeah so i pieced it all together and realized hey hang on but those usually don't amount to anything because this guy after seeing the property realized it actually isn't the right house so it happens all the time that, that happens happen quite often a- a rental we had the guy told me as we're listing it oh my neighbor's interested so i told him to call you and this guy called me and he was so anxious to go see the house he's like i'm ready i want to rent it and then disappeared yeah so that happens yeah uh so there you go oh now hang on a second before we move on to hold backs and we won't confuse the two this time so hold over um as a realtor now, so for because we do have a number of realtors that listen on a regular basis. So as a realtor, if you're sitting in front of a seller, whether it, now I guess you might be looking at a seller virtually, but however it is, if you're reviewing a listing agreement with that seller and they're going over, you know, clause by clause in the agreement, the three pages, and they say, hey, what's this? Hold back. I see hold 90 over, days. Hold over. You're They're, confusing sorry, it again. Hold, Jesus. because <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking about hold back. I see the hold over nine, 90 days or 180 days or whatever. What is that? And you explain it. <laughs> if the seller is putting up an objection that... It's too long, 90 days, 180 days, 365 days, whatever it is. As a realtor, do you care, A, and B, does that set off any red flags for you? I would say it depends. There's so many variables that come into play. Like some people in communicating with them, you just do get weird feelings. And it's like, this is probably not a deal I should be taking already. You might already feel that way. So if the guy's a bit sketch or whatever, and you're just not comfortable, then yeah, maybe that is a red flag. Um, but at the same time, if, if that's not the case or you're confident it'll sell and they, you know, they're motivated to move, then it's not a, I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't, I don't experience that. Anyone we've worked with, I've, I can't think of anyone really, the only time I can think of one person that was a bit questionable and it didn't work out. It's like, you know, follow your gut. Now in that contract, do you still have the clause there? In that contract? Yes, I have it open. Yeah. That would pertain to the brokerage. Not the listing realtor. Correct. So hypothetically, so in a brokerage of like ours where there's, I don't know, 80 to 100 realtors. Right. That clause is covering the listing brokerage as a whole. Then the brokerage has um, an agreement with individual real estate agents. I don't know. I'd have to read our contracts to see what's in there. Um, if there's any word of holdovers or if it just blankets a property. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll answer my question. Put my realtor hat on. Listing agreement. You're a seller. You're questioning me about a holdover and the length of it. I don't care. It could be zero. It could be four days. It could, my standard, I, as I put it in the contract, it's usually 120. Um, why? I don't know. I always did it that way. I really don't care. Our average days on the market is, I, I didn't check very recently, but it's like nine. Um, yeah. And if, if for whatever reason, we didn't do a good job or we're not seeing eye to eye and that's why the listing gets canceled, then I don't need your money. Like go sell your house to somebody else and move on. I wouldn't want that to be done to me if I was in that position. And, And there are other industries where contractually you could be obligated to things like that after the fact lawyers, as an example. Um, So as a, as a realtor, uh, yeah, really kind of meaningless in our, in our day-to-day activities as a team ourselves. If I was in, I don't know, pick another province in a more rural setting, um, maybe my answer is different, but yeah, for, for, for me, uh, yeah, not really applicable. Okay. No, moving on to hold backs. Yes. Not to be confused with the first half of this podcast, which was a hold over. Yes. I'll allow you to explain it. Well, it's really quite simple. A hold back is it can be written a few different ways in a contract and it can actually happen outside of that written agreement. Um, But let's just say the one time or the times where we use it most often will be with pools. And this is a really easy explanation. There are a few different ways that you can write it within the agreement of purchase and sale. Usually it's a clause in one of the schedules. 
And it'll basically read along the lines of the buyer's lawyer or the seller's lawyer um, will hold back the sum of whatever, couple grand, until there's got to be some kind of a consequence. So what happens? So until Halton Pools and Spas inspects the pool no later than June 31st, if everything's okay, the money goes goes back to the seller. If there's something wrong, the expense of repairing will come out of that money. Right. Very common it's, this time of year, people can't inspect pools and pools are, you know, very expensive potentially. Um, and often a big reason why somebody buys a house. So it's a great clause to protect the buyer and a reasonable yeah. request. So most sellers, is, unless you're re- in competition, yeah. not going to sway the decision one way or the other. Right. If you're, if you're competing for this home against whatever, five other offers, as a realtor, I'm going to counsel you and say, well, cleanest offer in this case, it's a beautiful home. It's priced well in a desirable neighborhood. It's got everything you want. You really want this home. Four other families also want this home. In a worst case scenario, does a two to $5,000 repair for this pool or pool equipment, is that going to sway your decision on moving forward with this purchase. Right. And usually that answer is no. So no, you're, just you're comfortable budgeting for that. And that's what it all this comes down to. Right. Worst and, case scenario. And, yeah. Well, it's being prepared and the realtor properly advising and preparing you accordingly. Yes. Um, you know, and a lot of people now, um, like I'm seeing it more and more people with pools, they're actually having their pool professionally closed. Um, they're not doing it themselves. Note to sellers, if you do own a home with a pool and you think you might be selling going into the months after you're closing your pool, have it inspected by a professional pool company and give a written report. about and get, the condi- some, get some nice photos. And get, and yes, we do that all the time. We send out our our media team to take all kinds of footage. We've got a property going on the market in the next 60 to 90 days. So probably when the pool is still going to be closed and possibly snow on the ground. And we took drone footage, video, and um, some nice HDR photos of the entire exterior back in, I want to say, August. Yeah. Um, so that's a great idea. And document, take photos of the the equipment, like what is actually coming with the sale of the home. Um, is there, you know, a solar blanket? Is there a robotic cleaner? Is there a heater? Is there a salt water tank? Like what's there? Take pictures of it and take pictures of the um serial numbers like the serial plates on them so you have the model number serial number manufacturing date all that stuff good to document anyways so that's usually where we use that hold back in terms of from the seller's perspective something that's important is to make sure that assuming this particular 
case as an example with the pool. Um, being specific with the wording of the clause and as right to your point saying, even specifying the company that has to do the inspection. Yes. Like if you've had yes. a reputable you don't want local any company. Vagueness. No, no, not at all. Because then it's going to be hard to get your money back. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And you know, at the end of the day, those things usually don't make or break a deal um, unless like it is in a competition situation, like you mentioned, but do you really, as a seller or a buyer, do you really want a few thousand bucks sitting in the lawyer's trust account for months and months and months, not knowing if you're going to get this money or not. Right. And maybe on a $2 million purchase, it's, you know, a smaller percentage of the, purchase price. But if you're talking about a four or $500,000 home and that holdback can be for different things, not just the pool, yeah. um, you know, well, something about to think that. about. A the, couple the, other things that I've done holdbacks for one is ran into it recently uh, with somebody, one of somebody on our team was asking me about it. Uh, for houses that have not yet been assessed for property taxes. So taxes are still due. So I, my first house, good I think, one. was almost two years with no property taxes paid because they hadn't assessed the property yet. Um, so if the seller is selling the house during that period, um, the lawyers will usually have a holdback for money to cover the taxes that the seller is still due. Um, and then once the assessment comes through, they'll pay that off and then disperse the balance back to the seller. Another spot I've seen it used, um, sometimes implemented later into the process where the buyer goes to visit the property they purchased and it's a couple of days before closing and there's tons of garbage everywhere. The grass has grown to three feet long. And, and that's, they, yeah. that's what I was going to talk about next. Yeah. We'll go because on. that, that's outside of the contract. Right. Right. So you're not writing that into the deal. That's now something that has happened in the course of the purchase. And up until closing, that if something doesn't get rectified, the buyer's lawyer is then saying, all right, well, we're, you know, we paid a million bucks for this home, but we're only advancing 990,000 because whatever. Right. Um, And, and then it becomes a back and forth negotiation, usually dictated by the, the lawyers um and they're going back to their clients saying okay well this is this is what they're saying this is what they're offering you know um but you still end up closing on the deal on the closing date but now not all of the funds get advanced right so same and, premise just done afterwards and, and in your that scenario could be for many reasons in in your scenario that one that happens often is where a seller leaves a whole bunch of shit yeah. on the property or in the house, right? Like yeah. old furniture is still in the basement. There's 400 unusable tires in the back corner that they were supposed to get rid of and didn't, uh, whatever. Um, and the, 
buyer goes for that. That's why that that last visit, you should always visit the property before you pay for it. Yeah. And the buyer's walking through the property going, Ariel, we got a problem. What's the problem? There's 400 tires in the backyard that they haven't removed. Yeah. So now, Or it could be the opposite. They took that bar fridge downstairs that it was supposed to be included. Yes, that happened to me before. Yeah. Uh, on the last visit. I don't know if I've said this story on the podcast, but I'll say it again. Purchased a home out in Lincoln, Ontario. It's about, I don't know, 50-minute drive from Milton. Um, beautiful custom home. It was a, uh, I believe it was the builder's only model home. So it was decked out. Beautiful kitchen. And the kitchen was customized to fit the appliances specifically. So the countertops, the cabinetry, the depths, everything yeah. to the appliances that came with the house. Right. So now my, my buyers bought it and the home was, I don't know, several years old, five, six years old, something like that. Still in great condition. We show up for the final visit, which was a day or two before closing. And we see this dinky bar fridge <laughs> with gaps on either side to the gables where the previous fridge was. And this is dead center in the middle of the kitchen like it was an eyesore. My, sell, uh, my buyer says to me, Ariel, Correct me if I'm wrong, but that wasn't the bar fridge that was there. And I'm looking at it going, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. So luckily, I had photos in my phone because when we went for the walkthrough, uh, when we went for the showing and my buyer expressed interest, I immediately started taking photos because I knew we we're going to put an offer in. The other thing I had photos of were the serial numbers and model numbers of the appliances. Yeah. And I documented it in the agreement of purchase and sale in the chattels included. So it said, whatever, bar fridge ABC, serial number XYZ123, it's in there. And I had a photo of it. So now the, again, this is like a day before closing. Um, I went to the, seller's agent i called him up yeah and said uh houston we got a problem what happened to the bar fridge oh i don't know i'll i'll find out let you know so now on the day of closing i'm giving my buyer's lawyer a call to say just a heads up before you move any funds we have a problem with the fridge here's the problem the bar fridge sent uh, her him all of the uh, documentation that I had and I get a call back from the seller's agent oh the bar fridge stopped working so he replaced it with a brand new one <laughs> of lesser quality oh the so I did some due diligence after that call the fridge that was there originally was almost 3,000 bucks. Oh my goodness. The fridge he replaced it with, which was from Costco, was 800. Yeah. 
little bit of a difference, even though it's brand new and probably that now used $3,000 fridge was worth less than 800 bucks. Um, I don't know, maybe, you know, it's only worth as much as somebody's willing to pay for it. Right. So, um, anyways, lawyer ended up holding back something like $2,000 or 2,500 bucks, um, to replace it with a like model. Right. And, uh, and that's what happened. So he took the old fridge out at close on, went to the property before closing, took the old fridge out. We held back. Can't remember the exact amount, but enough to cover uh, a proper replacement. My buyer was happy with that, and uh, and that's what happened. So, so things can happen outside of the actual agreement of purchase. That's not necessarily a clause that something gets held back in, um, and usually it's held back in trust. In this case, it was just an agreement that the. I think they may have amended the purchase price. I, I don't remember exactly. That, and then adjustment on closing. An adjustment the, on closing. Adjustment. So then you don't mess with the mortgage, et cetera. Right, right. So I can't remember if it was a holdback or if it was an adjustment, but um, uh, you know, things like that uh, happen. The garbage one, I'm, I'm shocked at how often people leave garb like legit have to order a a bin to throw out all this crap yeah i remember one time it was probably two or three hours after my clients got the keys to the house uh and the owner was still there oh that happens more often than it should yeah and this was late in the day it was like six or seven o'clock um, yeah. and it was an unfortunate circumstance where they had to close on both houses on the same day. Well, so I was just gonna say, to go. uh, that's you know, that's one of the reasons please try and avoid closing on the same day if it's at all possible. Usually, absolutely it's financially, find a financial implication, uh, that doesn't allow you to do it, but most banks and financial institutions allow for yeah, some kind of a bridge between the two homes it's a lot of stuff to coordinate it could be the buyer on the other end of the transaction for the seller that's moving into the house or whatever yeah a lot of moving pieces always lots of moving pieces when you're moving well now everybody knows what a holdover is not to be confused with the holdback which you now also know thank you for listening to episode what was it 156 was Was that that what it was i don't know i think that's what you said 165 No. <laughs> Thanks for li- listening to this episode. Yeah. Oh, we can't keep I... track of it's episode <laughs> 165. 165. There you go. Bye for now. See ya.